Psalm 133 is an amazing psalm. And uh, what I want to tell you is that is kind of what uh, encapsulates what the whole section we're in in the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't been here, what we're doing is we're studying through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it begins by Jesus saying that there are eight attitudes that we need to have be truly a part of our lives. Eight attitudes that guide us. We call them the Beatitudes. And when they, they're there, amazing things occur in our life. But Jesus says, when the eight things are there, you become a blessed person. Blessed is those who mourn in spirit. Or, sorry, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. The word blessed is a Greek word, makirios. It means to be supremely happy. And Jesus says, while we won't always experience happiness in every moment, we will still be a supremely happy person. If we have those eight attitudes in our life, the first one begins with blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The ones who know they need God. And then it, they, they begin to, to grow. They, 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 they actually, it's like taking steps of growth with God through them. And they start inward and they move outward. And, and so what happens is God wants us to live this life where all of a sudden it starts shining out of us. And Jesus says, when it starts shining out of you, don't let it stop. Because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he says, I don't want you to hide this change in you. I don't want this to hide who you are. I want you to go out and make a difference. And so we're incredibly blessed and happy when inwardly we have these things right about us. But when outwardly we shine out for God and we begin to cause eternal ripples to happen by affecting other people. And God says, you and I are made to do that. And when you do that, then what happens is you know you matter. You know every people around you are being affected for God. And you know you've made a difference. Blessed are you and happier are you when that happens. Then Jesus said, though, make sure that as that occurs, that you live your life according to my word. Because I didn't come to abolish the word. I came that it might be fulfilled. And until the heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest stroke or letter will pass away from this. Because God provided it for us. God has protected it for us. And now Jesus said, I want it to be what guides your life. And I want you to listen to my word carefully. Which brings us to the section of scripture we're getting to today. Where Jesus begins to talk about that, that when we have those attitudes in us and we live our lives according to his word, then it affects our relationship with others in an incredible way. And God has made you to love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. But he's made you to love other people. And so it makes sense that when Jesus is talking about how the kingdom of God comes and how you and I are to live, that it's relational, that we do it in loving ways. We do it in caring ways. And so he begins to talk to us about what happens when we love correctly. And then when we do that, incredible blessings flow into our life. As a matter of fact, we experience Psalm 133. And Psalm 133 is called by the rabbis, the Psalm of the Two Smiles. Why? Because it's not only you smile once, you smile twice. It's a psalm of double blessing. And notice how it begins in verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Now, now, now grab that. It's, it's a double smile. How good it is and how pleasant it is when you get along with other people. How good it is and how pleasant it is when your marriage is a marriage of unity and love and care. How good it is and how pleasant it is when your family is a harmonious family. How good it is and how pleasant it is when a church loves each other the way we should. And we're not selfish but selfless. And we have unity amongst our community. How good and pleasant it is. And then he goes on to describe how this blessing comes. He says in verse 2, It is like the precious oil up on the head. Coming down on the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down on the edges of his robe, 
Now, now, what is he talking about there? He says, it's just like when, when people love each other. It's like when Aaron was anointed to be the high priest and the oil was poured over him and it covered every part of his body from the head to the beard all the way down to the very edges of his robe. And you know what that symbolizes? He said it's the Holy Spirit flowing in an amazing way. God says my spirit moves in an amazing, incredible way and blesses you when you're in unity together. When we get along with each other, we care about each other. When we're not willing to let bitterness or grudges be part of our life. When we treat each other with purity and respect. When we're honest with one another. God says it's like the Holy Spirit flowing. And you can't get more spiritual than that. That's why Jesus said, when two or three of you are gathered together in my name. Do you already know what he says? There I am in your midst. Now, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about conflict resolution and that issue. But he says, but when you come with unity, you can't, you can't even get to a better place of experiencing me. When the church loves each other, when families love each other, when friends love each other, man, it doesn't get better than that. That's what God's saying. He said, it's the spirit of God moves in an incredible way. Then he says this. He says in verse three, it is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion for the Lord commanded the blessing life, life forever. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life abundantly. And he said, you know where that's found? It's found in a love relationship with me, a very real one. And it's found with others. He said, it's like the dew coming on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was a beautiful, is a beautiful mountain in Israel. And, you know, you can see Mount Hermon. But he said there are times of the year where the dew comes upon it in such a way in springtime where life erupts, where renewal happens. We know that very well here. Because right now is that time of the year where you can be driving in this area and see the beauty of the mountains. And if you're driving out the 71, you see the green grass and you see the poppies blooming. And, and, and for me, and I, I'm going to say for you, it's breathtaking. You're like, whoa. And I drive that way and I see the horses out there in those meadows and the beauty of it. And something that other times of the year is kind of ugly and ordinary becomes amazingly extraordinary. And God says when people love each other and there's unity and there's harmony, when we take the Sermon on the Mount and we apply it to our life in the right way, what happens is the ordinary becomes extraordinary. How many of you kind of think about it this way? This is an ordinary trash can. I don't think there's anybody in this room that says, man, you know what I want for my birthday? A trash can. It's just kind of an ordinary thing, you know, and, and, and yet this could become extraordinary when it's in the right place, harmoniously unified with the right person. And I'm going to give you an example of that. For instance, we're going to take this trash can and put it right here. And then I want to introduce you to Devrin. Devrin's going to come out right now. Welcome Devrin, everybody. And uh, Devron uh, is a, a music major at Cal Baptist. He's an amazingly great guy. He's an amazingly gifted guy. And so when you take Devron and something as ordinary as a trash can, we get something truly extraordinary. Give it to us.
this can be yours. All of this, all of this can be yours. All of this, all of this can be yours. Give me what I want. No one gets hurt, hurt. Hello, hello. Now please come I say it all the time, but are you amazed at the talent in this church? Man. Amazing. The song you just heard is from you too, and Bono is talking in there about the idea that uh, uh, someone can start out right in life, but because of all the things that happen, all the things that come, all the chaos and the chaotic things that occur, we can start spinning around and lose control. It's the vertigo thing. All of a sudden it's dizzying. And, and then in the midst of the song, there's a place where there's an offer made. It's that all the things in life can be yours if you'll come and kneel in front of the world system, Satan. And, and that seeks to buy and steal our soul. And what he's saying is you don't have to do that. Cling to what you were taught. Don't walk away. Don't give up on the things that will make your life matter. Don't allow this to start spinning you out of control. It's very often in life we see that happening. All of a sudden things start welling up around us and maybe emotions rise. And everything about what matters in life and what you want to be can be taken in an instant. Or can be handicapped or can be wounded. And then you step back and you might say, how did all this happen? How did it occur? How did we get so out of control? When if we go back to the whole idea of a unity with God and unity with others... Life has amazing blessing. And we get away from that, what the song is saying, and what God is going to say, what Jesus is going to say, is you become imprisoned, you become cursed. And uh, Jesus calls with words of freedom. His truth will set you free. And in Matthew 5, verses 21 on, he says this, You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. He goes, there isn't anybody that doesn't know that. You know you're not supposed to kill someone. And you know if you do kill somebody, you're going to have to go to court. And you're going to have to pay. Everybody knows that murder's wrong. But he says there's something you need to know even more. If you're a follower of God, if you're someone who's committed their life to Christ, we live by a higher calling than that. And he goes on in verse 22 to say this. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, or you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. If you ever say the word you fool, you're guilty before God to the place that you deserve hell. And without Christ, you'll go there. Now, now, notice where we're going and where Jesus is going with this. He says, you know you're not supposed to kill anybody. I'm telling you, you need to not be angry. 
You need to not be wrathful. You need to not have that grab hold of who you are. He says, you can't do that. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be angry and yet do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. And notice the last line and do not give the devil an opportunity. It literally is a foothold of Satan when we allow our anger to get out of control inside us and very often acted on by others. He said, don't do it. And what he's saying is this. You have a choice. You don't have to let anger dwell within you. You don't have to let that happen to you. Now, I got to tell you that Pam and I, because of this verse and because of an old saying that many of you have heard when you get married, you hear the old saying, uh, when you're married, don't go to bed mad at each other. Have you ever heard that one? Now, and, and, and I'm not saying it's a bad saying and clearly everything Jesus says is good, but Pam and I took both of those and we didn't use it correctly. When we first got married, we made a commitment. We're never going to go to bed mad at each other. We're never going to let the sun go down on our anger. So we had made a decision. Whatever problem we had, whatever fight we had, had to be settled before we go to bed. Do you know what that did to our marriage in the early days? It was hell on earth. I mean, here we are dead tired. We're mad at each other. We're actually both pretty immature. And so what happened is, is I, we made a decision. We've got to get this settled. We don't want to go to bed mad at each other. So, you know, I was the talker in the family and, and Pam was the quiet one. And what would happen is I would say, okay, we got to get this settled. And I would start in and Pam would get more upset and more upset. And the more upset she got, the quieter she got. And the quieter she got, the more I dug trying to get her to communicate back. And then I would hit her with this phrase. Well, at least I'm committing to talking this out. <laughs> Didn't score a lot of points with that one. And so what would happen is we would just be miserable. And that is, you know, catch that's one not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, God is saying through the apostle Paul, he says, you have a choice. When the sun goes down, you just say no more anger. You can choose not to be angry. You have that ability within you. God gave that to you. You can choose to be loving. You can choose to have unconditional love. You can choose to be merciful and gracious. And we're not talking about a God who doesn't understand how hurtful life can be and difficult life can be. We're talking about God saying you have that ability within you to rise above any situation, any attack, any mean-spirited infliction within to your life. You can do it. You can choose to say, no, I'm not going to be angry and to say, I'm not going to have that happen. Because by the way, the Bible teaches whenever anger gets hold of us, there's always a price to pay. That's not good. That's why it says in Proverbs 19, 19, a man of great wrath will suffer punishment for if you rescue him, you'll have to do it again. In other words, there, there's a punishment that comes when you let anger be in your life and control you. I don't know if you heard about the young married couple that everyone thought, well, man, they're perfect for each other. They met in high school in the youth group and fell in love. And everyone thought, wow, they're meant for each other. Then they went to college together and they maintained purity. And, and everybody thought, wow. And then they got engaged. Oh, my gosh. Everyone got so excited about them. And, and then what happened is they save up their money and they do it right. And they buy a little house together and they get married and they move in. And here's what's amazing. From high school to college to graduation and all this time, they had never had a major fight. They never had a major conflict. And so they're married now for maybe about two or three months. And all of a sudden it happens. It was one of those little things that set off the spark and her feelings got hurt and he got upset and he wasn't going to back down and she wasn't going to back down. And now they're actually going at it. She's saying things, he's saying things, and then she does it. 
She brings up the past. She brings up something that back then really wasn't that big a deal, but she uses it to try to win her cause. And now he's hurt. You're going to bring up the past on me? And well, what about you? And all of a sudden, man, it's really a little escalating. And, and finally she's crying and he's upset and, and they can't seem to settle it. And they go to bed and they toss and turn all night. They get up in the morning and, and they're getting ready. And all of a sudden it starts again. He said something. Now she's responding back and insult for insult, retaliation for retaliation. Finally, he tries to take control and he looks at her and he says, you know what? We're not going to settle this. I can tell. Why don't we agree? We're not going to say another word and, and we'll just talk about it tonight when we get home. She said, fine. He walks into the kitchen, gets out a cereal bowl, sits down to have some cereal. She comes walking in and she makes two or three cutting remarks, turns and gets out before he can respond. She thought, I won. He thought, I can't believe it. She had to get the last word in. I can't believe I married somebody like that. Who does she think she is? And he is just mad. He's sitting there, man. It's just, oh, he could hardly eat. And then she comes walking in and she says, the least you could do is zip me up. He thought, I'll zip you up. (laughs) And he walks over behind her and he takes her dress and he gets a really good tight hold of it. And he reaches for that zipper and he starts zipping and zipping and she's trying to get away and he's got her and he's not going to let go and he's zipping and then he zips it up and he goes, ha ha ha, and he walks out the door. (laughs) She breaks into tears. He's an abuser. I married an abusive husband. I mean, she feels so like her power was taken away and, and humiliated and she can't believe he would do that. He could have got her skin in the back of the dress and, and now she's crying like crazy, but she can't catch him. He's gone. She gets in the car and she's driving to work and you know what happens. Every single light she comes to is red. She's sitting there. It takes forever to get to work. She just thinks about that zipper in her mind. Then she finally gets to work and she's walking to her desk and she hits it and knocks over this thing of files and she goes on her knees and now she's just crying. Her boss walks out and looks at her and says, what's wrong? And she goes, we had a fight and she's going into it. And he says, honey, is this your first big fight? She said, yeah. He goes, guess what? You're going to have a lot more of them. But he said, you know what? You're no good to us. Now go home, calm down, make sure you're calm when your husband gets home. It'll work out. Just, you know, you guys can work it out. So she gets in the car and she's still crying and she's hurting over what happened. And she drives and she turns down her street and she's like, oh, his truck is sitting in the driveway. She thought, good, he's going to be home. I don't have to wait all day for this. Then as she gets closer, she's like, oh, she is so excited. He's laying underneath the truck working on it. That's why he didn't go to work. It broke down. So she parks the car across the street. She gets out and sneaks over as much as she can. She straddles over the top of him. And then in one fail swoop motion, she grabs his pants, goes for the zipper and starts zipping up and down and up and down. And he just bonk on it. He goes back down, but she's not going to quit. And she's zipping and zipping and she zips and she walks away. She thought, yes. And she opens the front door and there's her husband sitting at the table. He says, hi, honey. Did you see the pastor outside? <laughs> they run out there together, pull him out. He's unconscious. He wakes up. Someone grab my zip. You know, and, uh, whenever you get angry, it never goes well. It never goes well. 
And uh, James chapter one, James says these words. This, you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Think about those words again. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. By the way, if you're a parent, the anger will not achieve the righteousness of God. God never wants you to unleash your wrath upon your child so they cower in fear. I know there might be a few of you in here who say, but you know, they're so hard to get through to. The anger of man never, ever, ever will achieve the righteousness of God. If you're a boss in here and you want to berate your employee, it's wrong. The anger of man. And and you know what? There's never, ever a time. That's okay. God is clear about it. He wants us to know it. And we need to understand that what happens when we unleash anger is it never achieves what God would want to achieve in someone. It never brings the right result. We got to stop. There was a woman one time talking with the famous evangelist, Billy Sunday, and he knew she had a bad temper and he called her on it. And she said, well, okay, I have a bad temper and I let it out. But you know what? Once it's out for me, it's just over in a minute. And he said, so is a shotgun blast. But you spend a lot of time picking up the pieces. You know what? There's a lot of us in this room today. You've been hit. And uh, I know. I know it hurts. I know there's some of you, you've had people unleash anger on you and it's inflicted wounds and pains and hurt. You've cowered on the inside and it's made it very difficult to live life trusting anyone. By the way, God wants to heal that. God wants to help you come to wholeness. There's some of you in this room who, you know what, you've had people. At any moment, you had to walk on eggshells. You could see it coming. And they would use that on you. They would use it. There's some that had spouses that way. There's some that had family that way, friends. Some of you work with people like that. And Jesus is saying, whenever you do that, you're guilty enough to go to prison because you are imprisoned. You're not free to be who you're supposed to be. And life with anger never, ever accomplishes the righteousness of God. And lives have been ruined time and time again. Uh, It happened in the city of Corona a few years back on the 15 freeway. Some of you remember this. I only read about it in the paper, but what happened is a minivan was going down the 15 with their family in it, and and three men were in a truck that were driving, and and what happened is the minivan cut off the truck. Well, the guys in the truck got mad, and they started honking, and they pull up, and they flip off the driver of the minivan. Well, he, he gets mad. How dare you do that in front of my wife and kids, and he makes hand gestures back. Well, now all of a sudden they're racing down the road with road rage welling up. And all of a sudden the minivan pulls over and the truck pulls over and the three guys jump out and rush the the dad who jumps out of the minivan and he rushes them. I mean, he's out of control and they get into a fight and then he gets hit and knocked and he falls into the lane of the freeway and a car drives right over his head. According to the article I read, not one of those three men had a criminal record. But all three would go to prison. Not only did they kill someone and and they did it in front of his family, his kids. And they've got to live with that. But now they have no future, no life. This father, he jumps out of the van running with his wife screaming, don't go, don't go. And now they don't have a a, a dad. And, And you know what? Jesus said, just don't be angry. 
You could choose not to be. You can choose to control yourself. You can choose to take over. I I read within a one-week period of time about a hockey game back east where a father leaped the barricade because his son had been body-checked really hard, and he ran and and attacked a high school student. This dad did from the other team. Well, he's in prison. It was in that same week at a Little League game that a father leaped the fence and went out and, and started attacking a Little Leaguer. Because he felt he had slid too hard into his son. By the way, that that man at the Little League game was a police officer. Who now goes to prison and will never be a cop again. Which was his greatest dream. Anger. God says it never ends well. And Jesus said, you know what? You need to turn it off quick. And you need to make a determination because you can, you can not to let the sun go down on your anger. And we need to understand that. That's why it says in Psalm 37, 8 and 9, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. By the way, do you know what he's saying there? How many times we get mad and then we just start fretting over it. It's like baking and it's like boiling. And you can know it's there, but rather than turning it down, you turn up the heat and you start going more and more. He says, don't do that. Forsake it. Turn it off. And he says this. He says, it only leads to evil doing and evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. God says, Jesus says, don't be that way. You have the power. You have the choice. You don't have to let that happen. And by the way, if the Holy Spirit's within you, he never wants that to well up. That's not a fruit of the spirit. It's a fruit of the flesh. And God's great desires that we would never have ourselves done that way. Matter of fact, this is such a big deal to God. Don't miss this. God says that you should and I should never even befriend or associate with someone given anger. There's very few times in the Bible does it says, make sure you're not in someone's presence. But Proverbs 22, 24 and 25 said, do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot tempered man or you will learn his ways and you will find a snare for yourself. Yeah, again, these aren't just words. This is This is words for life. I uh, sat with a mom who uh, heart was breaking because she was watching in her junior high son the abusive nature that his father had exhibited on her. You know that people who watch abuse day in and day out very often take that to the next family. God says you'll find a snare. It'll ruin you. God's call for you and I is just turn it off. And, and Jesus said, if you do, you're going to be blessed. But if not, what's going to happen is this, you're going to find yourself guilty. You're going to find yourself in prison. And then he takes it to a whole nother level. He said, it's bad enough if you get angry. But if you start insulting people, if you start uh, demeaning people with words, if you start a verbal abuse onslaught on someone, he said, now you're guilty before the Supreme Court. See what he says again in verse 22. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing. Should be guilty before the Supreme Court. Jesus is saying that whenever we do that, we deserve death. We deserve to be imprisoned if we get angry. We deserve literally death if we unleash a verbal assault on someone. If we're demeaning towards them. If we're attacking towards them. The word he uses there is the word raka. It literally means you good for nothing. It means you have no value. There's another word that's actually more used today that actually is a better translation. It's the word stupid. When you look at, that's stupid. You're stupid. Now, I don't know about you, but I know in our house, Pam had a hard and fast rule. That word was never used. Because it's too demeaning and it's too insulting and it's too attacking. 
What it is, is we're literally taking somebody and we're trying to attack who they are and, and wound them. And, and the Lord says, the minute you get that anger to the point now, you're, you're unleashing it verbally. He said, you deserve death. Because why? You're killing somebody. Again, I know there's some of you in this room that um, it hurts. It's killed you on the inside. Those words are still there. And uh, that's why Paul in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, that's that verbal abuse, be put away from you along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. In 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, Peter says these words to sum up. In other words, don't miss this point. All of you be harmonious sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Don't, don't, don't trade off like that. And then he says, but instead give a blessing for you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit the blessing. We will never inherit the blessing if anger wells up and we're attacking. God's great desire is that we understand that. And too many people have paid the price of it. I don't know if you're going to agree. I think you will. Have you noticed how powerful words are? Because even someone that you may not like, they can say something insulting to you and it literally wreaks havoc in your mind. It seems like it echoes there. Uh, and I've watched that happen again and again and again. I've watched people who literally found themselves not able to be whole because of attacks like that. People can be incredibly mean and cruel. They can do horrible things. A few years ago, a young high school girl committed suicide and she left a note. The note was, they said, they said. She was the target of abuse of a group of high school girls that just decided they would every day say cruel things to her and it killed her. Many of you know right now there's a college campus that there's an investigation going on because a group of college students decided they would target someone verbally and, and that girl committed suicide. But let me say this. Most of you already know that she died inside a long time before she took her life because words kill. Uh, uh, you know what? We just heard about another high school that's been happening. And, and you might say, well, Chuck, those are extreme cases. And I want to say they are extreme and they're tragic. But it's just as tragic to know how many people walk around feeling hurt and pain because someone decided to shoot at you. Some of you, it was a parent. I mean, they made sure every time they could, they could overpower you with words. And it hurts and it wounds. Some of you, it's a coworker and you just don't want to go to work anymore and have to be around them. Some of you is a, a, an ex-friend. And God says, just never, ever be that way. Why? Because it seems like it echoes for eternity in someone's mind. A fourth grade girl got this note. Fourth grade, she walked to her desk, opened it up, and here's the words. Awful Janet, you're the stinkiest girl in the world. I hope you die. But of course, I suppose that's impossible. But I've got some ideas. Play in the road. Cut your throat. Drink poison. Get drunk. Knife yourself. Please do some of this, you big fat girl. We all hate you. And I'm praying, oh, please, Lord, let Janet die. We're in need of fresh air. Did you hear me, Lord? Because if you didn't, we will all die. See, Janet, we're not all bad. From Wanda Jackson. 
Now, you know what that did to a fourth grader. And we know what words do to people. And God says that, number one, we never are to do that, ever. Jesus said, don't you understand the gravity of what happens when you use words like that? And he says, so don't be a demeaning person. Stop anger within and never let it start coming out of your mouth. And be a person who chooses and says, that's not who I'm going to be. And uh, God's great desire is you would never, ever be that way. And then he says, I don't want you to demonize anybody. I don't want you to devalue anybody. You see, and notice that's what he's talking about at the very end of verse 22. He says, whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. He says, don't miss that. I want you to know that that when you take the time to actually say you fool. Now, the Greek word there is moros. And the idea behind the word is you have no value whatsoever. You have no worth whatsoever. And it actually gives birth from Psalm 14 verse 1 where it says the fool has said in his heart there is no God they are corrupt they have committed abominable deeds there is not one of them who does good see it's bad enough when we get angry and then it's worse when we become insulting but it's even worse when we get such a strong grudge mentality and such bitterness within us that we actually demonize the person we act like they have no value that life would be better if they didn't exist and there's no good thing they can do You and I are that way when all of a sudden that somebody we're so upset at and so angry at that maybe you somehow are in a place where they pray and you're like, I don't believe a word they said. Or you heard they did something nice and good and you go, but nobody knows like I do their bad motives. Or someone comes and tells you what horrible thing they did and you're like, yeah, finally everybody sees how horrible and evil they are. And all you can do is look for evil in them and believe evil in them and believe everything's fake. And God says, why would you ever get to a point where you would devalue someone like that? Why would you get to where that would be your thought process towards them? And Jesus said, the minute you get there, you deserve hell. And by the way, you're kind of living it at that moment. Heaven's a place of harmony and unity and joy and love. And hell's a place of bitterness and grudge. And God's great call is for us not to do that and not live that way. And that's why Jesus makes it the highest priority 